Oscar-winning cinematographer Linus Sangren talks about his incredible work on First Man, Damien Chazelle's new movie about Neil Armstrong, plus an update on this year's exciting Oscar race with Gregory Elwood of The Playlist. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hey guys, this is Christina Yerling-Biru. Welcome back to the show. So um, one thing you may not know about me is that I know quite a bit about space travel and astronauts. Years ago, I spent time working on a documentary project following a NASA astronaut visiting both NASA in Houston and Star City in Moscow, for example. And as a film major, we studied the space genre as it again and again innovated the art of film, from the right stuff to gravity. And I have to say that Damien Chazelle's First Man, starring Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy, blew me away. It really takes the space film to a new level, a very personal level. It's a story of loss, courage, and wonder. Later on the show, Oscar-winning cinematographer Linus Sangren talks to me about filming both the personal and the wondrous. But first, the fall means blast-off for Oscar season, and what a season it is. From Lady Gaga's A Star is Born to Nicole Kidman in two powerful roles. Spike Lee is back, and Christian Bale transforms himself yet again as Dick Cheney in Vice. Who are the frontrunners? To help us gauge where we are in the Oscar race, I have a very special returning guest with me. Gregory Elwood covers movies and awards on the playlist, and he's the host of the Four Quadrant podcast. Gregory, thank you so much for joining me again. Happy to be here. So we're going to be talking about where we are in the Oscar race. What can you tell me about the, a few of the Oscar frontrunners, the big movies right now? What do you think the chances are for A Star is Born, for example? Well, I think, to be quite honest, The Star is Born is probably the front runner right now. You know, it's had uh, amazing reviews and box office has been spectacular for Warner Brothers. I think they probably feel very confident about where they are right now. Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they like the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. What? I just want to take another look at you. In all the good times I find myself And, you know, there's been a little bit of backlash, but that always happens with any big movie. But the good news is, is they've opened early. And what happens is, over time, that sort of fades away and people remember the positives about a film. Unless it's a film that has a lot of negatives, and A Star is Born doesn't really have a lot of negatives. What's the backlash about? Oh, the backlash is that it's 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 less Academy members as than it's prominent media people saying the movie's overhyped, or mm-hmm. you know, it's you know, Lady Gaga isn't as good in her performance as you know many people have said previously. It, it it's sort of the same old, same old that happens with a lot of movies. Right, right. And um, what about Bradley Cooper? He's kind of a triple threat here as director, co-writer, and stars in the film. What do you think his sort of personal chances are? I think he's got a great chance. You know, he probably only has one other 
competitor in the best doctor field who could who could really beat him, and that's Christian Bale in Vice, which no one has seen yet. But again, in that film, Christian Bale is is transforming into uh, a former U.S. Vice President Dick Cheney, and you know gained forty pounds of weight, which you know actors in the Academy always love when you know actors or actresses go the extra mile to transform. What do you say? I want you to be my VP. I want you. You're my vice. Well, George, I, uh, I'm the CEO of a large company. And I have been Secretary of Defense. And I have been White House Chief of Staff. The vice presidency is a mostly symbolic job. Uh-huh. However, if we came to a, uh, different understanding i can handle the more mundane jobs so there's a there's a shot that that christian could get his second oscar but as of right now you'd probably say that bradley's the front runner and actor he he should Mm -hmm. get a directing nod it's possible he won't the directing field is incredibly competitive this year It, it actually it's always competitive but it's very very competitive this year so there is a slim chance he might not get nominated there and he probably won't win director that that's likely either Alfonso Caron for Roma or Spike Lee for Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. Well, Spike Lee would be fun. I'm surprised. I, I mean, there's so much talk about one of the best things about um, A Star is Born is actually the direction. But anyway, I'm sure they'll it'll win a whole bunch of other prizes as well. And Lady Gaga, she's a sure thing for nominating best actors, right? Right. And, and to be honest, you know, she'll also get a nomination for Best Original Song. And at this point, she'll win. It's, it's hard to see Shallow, which is the, the, the their top contender for song, not winning. So Lady Gaga is going to get an Oscar, most likely, but it probably won't be for Best Actress. Who's she up against, do you think, in, her, in, her category, in the category of actress? Well, she's 100% up against the frontrunner, which is, at this point, Olivia Coleman from The Favorite. You know, Olivia isn't probably as well known as some of the other contenders, but her performance, in theory, should resonate with the the membership very, very well. And it's an, an, an it's a stunning performance. Dearest Queen, you are mad, giving me a palace. It is a monstrous extravagance, Mrs. Molly. We are at war. We won. Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh. Oh, I did not know that. Queen is an extraordinary person. They were all staring, weren't they? I can tell even if I can't see, and I heard the word fat, fat, and ugly. No one but me would dare, and I did not. She's been stalked by tragedy. Everyone leaves me. He dies. So it, it would be almost shocking if Olivia didn't win, but it's possible that she might not. Uh, other contenders include Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. in Destroyer. Fantastic, you know, another stunning performance. The problem with Destroyer is it's a movie that probably won't appeal to a lot of the Academy. Uh, it's a hard sit, and it's very uh, it dark, really right? doesn't get good until yeah. the second half. And it feels like a movie that when Academy members watch it on screener, which sadly most Academy members get through their films on screeners, they, they might not watch the whole film. So... I, I think that's where a lot of people mm-hmm. are are sort of even concerned that Nicole might not even get a nomination in, in lead actress. Okay. Do you think she'll get for supporting for Boy Erased? 
I do. I think that's an easier nod, even though it's a more competitive category. It's a smaller role. It's the best role in it. Sorry, it's the best performance in that film. Mm-hmm. And it's the most memorable. And I, I think that because the movie's coming out early enough, Academy members will remember it more. SAG voters will remember it more. You know, Destroyer doesn't come into theaters till Christmas Day in the U.S. What about Damien Chazelle's new movie, First Man, about Neil Armstrong? What are the Oscar chances there? I think First Man is going to get a ton of below-the-line nominations. Here we go. Six, five, four, three, two. Do you question whether the program's worth the cost in money and in lives? You're down here and you look up and you don't think about it too much, but space exploration changes your perception. I do think it will still get a Best Picture nod. I think it is it, because of perception and because of potentially even the box office, I think it's going to sort of fall into the sort of Christopher Nolan trap where people appreciate the direction, they appreciate what, you know, in this case, Damien Chazelle has done on screen, but they don't necessarily think that it is a, a Best Picture winner. And, you know, sort of like Dunkirk last year. Right. So, right. you know, I think Claire is going to definitely get nominated, but which helps because you have actor support. But I think they know mm-hmm. now that I think Universal knows that their best picture play is no longer first man to win, but is Green Book, which is coming out later this uh-huh. month or sorry, in November. Right. Tell me about Green Book. So Green Book was uh, produced by Participant Media. It is the first drama directed by Peter Farley, who you know from working with his brother, and they go by the Farley brothers. They've done, you know, so many comedies over the years. What was that movie? I'm forgetting the title with Cameron Diaz. Uh, Something about... Yeah, the real... Something something about about Mary. Mary. Real crazy comedies. Yeah, Yeah. those are great. Oh, this is... They're doing... He's doing a more serious movie. He's doing a very more serious movie, and it's based on a, (laughs) a true story of a New York bouncer in the very early 1960s played by Viggo Mortensen, who was hired to be the basically driver slash security for a uh, African-American classical pianist played by uh, Mahershala Ali as he goes on tour in the Deep South. And Green Book refers to the a, a physical guide which told them which hotels they could go to in each city where Mahershala's character could safely stay. In some cities, there was segregation mm-hmm. where you couldn't, where whites and blacks were not legally allowed to stay in the same hotels, and in other cities, it was okay. And the 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 title refers to the book. Yeah, some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? Public relations. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? You and the Deep South? There's gonna be problems. Promise me you're gonna write me a letter. No problems. Tell me that don't smell good. I've never had fried chicken in my life. You people love the fried chicken. You have a very narrow assessment of me, Tony. Yeah, right? I'm good. Interacting with some of the wealthiest people in the country. It is my feeling that and it's it is a it is a very familiar tale that you would have seen 
30 years ago or would have come out in the 80s or, or, or you know, maybe even early 90s that would have wowed people. Like it's, a Driving it's, Miss Daisy? It's, a, it's like a Driving Miss Daisy, but not as, but probably, I don't know. It, it, it will be very interesting to see what the, once we get closer to release, what the reaction is to Green Book. It won the Toronto Film Festival People's um, Choice Award, which was a mm-hmm. surprise. But, you know, a lot of media who are people of color have not really chimed in on the movie yet. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think once we get closer to release, we'll see if it's really a real player or not. The, the one interesting thing about the movie is it is from Vigo's perspective. It is from the, the white person's perspective. And I, I am curious to see how that, that plays out as the movie gets more attention. Right. Now, have you seen Roma? Because that's one I hear is the favorite for everything. Is that true? Uh, I have seen Roma. Roma mm. is an incredible film made by Alfonso Cuaron. It will likely be Netflix's first Best Picture nominee. Alfonso Cuaron should get nominated. Uh, it is a front-runner in foreign language film. There are a bunch of categories below the line that it will get nominations for. It is a 100% sure nomination for original screenplay, just like The Favorite is, because that is the weakest category it, 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 of any category in the Oscars this year. Uh, you know, the thing about Roma is it is on Netflix, and they are planning on putting it in theaters. There is... You know, it's still 100% unclear how they are doing that and when they are doing that. But they might not be putting it in enough theaters and they might not be doing it early enough. And it's unclear how Mm -hmm. much they are going to promote the fact they are in theaters. So it is also a movie that is also best seen on the big screen as to opposed even to a big, big screen TV. And I... You know, I mean, they're – and Netflix knows this. Right, right. For them, Oscars and, and, and the Academy is a baby step process. You know, I, I have no doubt that Roma is going to win a ton of critic awards. Mm-hmm. It could win LAFCA and it could win the New York Film Critics and it could win the National Board of Review. But the Academy is a different beast and it is very well known that while actors – you know, members of the acting branch, SAG, love Netflix because it puts all their friends to work because they're making so much content. Writers and directors do not. Right. They right. Netflix pays less than, you know, other premier, you know, cable or, you know, on-demand services like HBO or Stars or Showtime or FX. And that is, that is an issue. I think Alfonso will be able to overcome that for the nomination but when it comes down to it i'm when when it comes down to voting for best picture i i don't know if enough international votes can get roma past you know the finish line but we'll see what about black panther now does that have a chance i mean that was so talked about at the beginning of the year i'll be honest i'll be stunned if black panther is not a best picture nominee yeah that 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 should happen Disney is going to go above and beyond to make sure that's going to happen. Whether it can win is interesting. It is probably a stealth candidate to win. It all depends on the campaign. It all depends on some of the other contenders. But both Black Panther and actually Black Klansman are sort of stealth candidates. This could be a year sort of like two years ago with Moonlight and La La Land where 
we think there's a winner, but because there's more split of the vote than we think, another film sort of sneaks in there because of how Oscar voting is. For people listening who are unsure, if if a film has, because of the, the structure of Oscar voting, if a film has more second choice votes than the film that has first place votes, even though that film may have more first place votes than another film, that sounds confusing, I know. It's the preferential it's ballot. A preferential yeah, we've tried ballot. to explain it here on the show many times, so hopefully yeah. most so people know. <laughs> because of the preferential ballot, a, a film could sneak in there that maybe, you know, on the surface, pundits aren't expecting. Now, is there anything you feel that I've forgotten here that or that I don't know about that you think will rise strongly here and come winter? Well, I mean, we haven't seen Vice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know someone who, who has, but for a, a majority of people haven't. And supposedly Amy and again Christian Bale, sorry Amy Adams and Christian Bale are fantastic. It you know people expect it to get nominated for Best Picture. If it is powerful enough, it could be a surprise sort of Best Picture winning candidate. But we really don't know. At this point, it does look like there are four or five films that could win, and that's not a bad right. place to be in October. There won't be that many surprises, but. It does look like if you were, you know, going to, to Vegas or going to somewhere to bet, you would bet on either Roma, Stars Born, potentially the favorite, Black Panther, and Black Klansman. And I'll say this about the favorite. I do think the favorite could be a stealth film that comes in with so few negatives and appeals to enough members of the Academy that it could surprise. Could you just real sh- briefly say what that's about? Oh, sure. Favorite is Yorgos Lanthimos, the director of The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer's latest film. It is a period film set in, I think, like or the early 1600s. I think her name was Queen Anne, who's played by Olivia Coleman, who I mentioned earlier, who was she had a physical ailments, but she was queen and she was likely a closet lesbian at the time and was in love with someone who was known as her favorite. And I can't remember the official name for her court, but she's played by Rachel Weisz. And she basically was in charge of making sure that the queen, mm-hmm. you know, did everything she was supposed to do in terms of just being the head of state, but also entertained her. And it's a very funny movie, but it becomes sort of this love triangle, sort of incestuous battle where Emma Stone is the potentially new favorite and how she sort of comes into court and how they all sort of bicker and sort of battle for the queen's favor. Wow, that sounds amazing, and what a cast. Yeah, it's it's very, very funny, and but it's also, there is a serious point to it, and again, all the actors and actresses in it, in it are literally fantastic, and you can see it being an actor's favorite. Right. And it will also appeal to certain members of the Academy that sort of feel like that, quote-unquote, should be a Best Picture winner. Wow, it's a good year. Some really good movies. I love Black Klansman, too, and, and, and Stars. But that's yeah. good. Coming up now on the show, I just interviewed cinematographer Linus Sangren, who did First Man. So I was just wondering oh. if you think he'll be nominated. He, of course, won for La La Land um, not long ago. But uh, what you think about the cinematography category before we get to that? Oh, I definitely think he'll get nominated. I think that's a given. I, I don't know a lot of their names, to be honest. You know, the one movie we didn't talk about that that will also likely that has a it's 
it should get nominated for Best Picture is Barry Jenkins if Beale Street could talk. Oh, right. That cinematographer should absolutely get nominated. Alfonso should get nominated for his work in Roma. Because he did that himself, right? He was cinematographer. He did do it himself wow. because Shivo, his his normal DP, was busy with another project. And last but not least, you know, I, I think The Favorite will get nominated. I can't think of anything else offhand, to be quite honest. Um, but those are the ones that are, are probably locks for nods, those four. Black Panther would be cool. That was amazing. You know, I love Rachel's work, but I don't know if the Guild mm. is going to think that that is it looks too much like a marvel movie i'm not i'm not All convinced right. that rachel can get nominated for that but it's possible well anyway that will it looks like a very exciting year and thank you so much Gregor, for taking the time and your expertise to to give us um, some hints about what's coming up no worries and listen the, the best thing about this year is because there is no slam dunk front runner it should be a lot of fun to, to see what happens along the way thank you so much thank you American Hustle, Joy, and Battle of the Sexes. These are just a few examples of Linus Sangren's work. He won the Oscar for his incredible cinematography on the musical La La Land, and now, on his second collaboration with director Damien Chazelle and actor Ryan Gosling, he takes on the space genre with First Man. Here he captures the intimate, dangerous, and awesome story of Neil Armstrong and the first moon landing. The film is a feat of visual innovations. For example, they did many special effects in camera. So Ryan Gosling wasn't looking at a green screen outside of the rocket blasting off. A giant LED screen projecting images was built. So he was seeing what we are seeing. So I got a short talk with the busy Linus Sangren, and I started by asking him what most surprised him about the Neil Armstrong story when he started approaching this project. Most of us have heard about the Neil Armstrong, obviously, and the moon landing and, and that he went to space. But I think what was really not known was all the story behind how much sacrifice and how many people that actually were involved and what type of you know, sacrifice that um, everyone around him, including the astronauts, but also his family and, and friends, went through and how, how much death it was, how much people actually sacrificed their life to do this. When I interviewed um, Damien Chazelle for La La Land, he talked a lot about working with other reference films, both musicals and Boogie Nights and, and movies about L.A. particularly. Mm. What about this one? What did you guys look at? We couldn't really look so much on uh, other space movies because we, the whole point for Damien for this film was to make it very authentic and realistic. So we rather watched uh, films like Battle of Algiers, which is uh, a, a dramatized sort of, uh, true event, but it, it's very documentary style, cinema veritia style about the, the war in Algiers. And films like that for the authenticity of trying to capture this time and this, uh, this journey that we go through for those 10 years uh, as authentic as possible. We wanted to do some sort of documentary style on it to be intimate and visceral as well. So that when you're home in the kitchen, realism with the family and with him, that we could capture that as intimate and emotional as possible. And then when you go to space, it should feel just like as claustrophobic and scary and, and visceral as it, it possibly can 
which we believe it probably would have felt like when you went on those rockets, you know. Yeah, it's very, very intense, very sort of handheld camera feel, um, sort of 16 millimeter type of documentary yeah. style, right? That was the the basic of it was that we we thought the approach should be some sort of cinema verte 16 mil with a zoom handheld with with them, you know, and then we eventually ended up trying to find the format for each scene being dependent on what the emotions was in the scene, how how emotional we wanted to be or how gritty we needed to be. So we actually changed formats quite a bit. We had like both the 16 millimeter, very intimate, uh, grainy um, inside the capsules uh, and, and intimate with the family. But we also shot on 35 for <clears throat> more detail, eventually on the moon, which is the least human and um, the most scope possible we changed to IMAX for the dramatic sort of effect of being intimate with the astronauts inside the capsule in 16 millimeter. And then it changes into IMAX in, in order to give the, the greatest contrast to what you just uh, were going through, you know. Yeah, that's like the closest I've gotten to that Wizard of Oz moment when she opens the door from the black and white part to the to the. It was amazing mm-hmm. when you go from the 16 millimeter in the cam in the um, capsule onto the moon. I was thinking about you talking about the super intimate family. Um, as a cinematographer, how do you think about portraying a parent in grief like this visually? To me, it has to do with, obviously, the script and the story, but also the director's vision for the particular film you're making. And since this film was meant to feel realistic and authentic, the approach for something like this would be to not, like, you know, put the camera just in front of their face, but rather be sort of respectful in the way that you would have been if this was real. Uh, perhaps you're not in their face always with a perfect angle, but like more careful with disturbing them, but, you know, like uh, trying to find them and find their looks. Like you're peeking in. Yeah, but also uh, really making sure that you capture those emotions in their eyes. Pat doesn't have a husband. Those kids... They don't have a father anymore. Do you understand what that means? What are the chances that's going to be Ricky and Mark? And I, I can't tell them that their dad spent the last few minutes packing his briefcase. You're going to sit him down, both of them, and you're going to prepare them for the fact that you might not ever come home. You're doing that. You, not me. It was critical for us that environments were built in a way that we could get far away from the cast and shoot them in total darkness, soloed out in the frame, both for describing the solitude in that, but also because we worked with blackness as a metaphor for death, also foreboding for what to come in the, in the space. Uh, adventures. Um, and going to the sort of test pilot NASA part of, of, the, of your work, um, I remember Caleb Deschanel, when he was talking about the right stuff, he, he talked about that he, they shook a craft so violently by hand that he actually gave his camera operator a black eye. And then I read somewhere that you guys were shaking your gimbals by hand too, and I was surprised that you were this sort of still the same technique. <laughs> um, but you built a lot of things, right? Uh, yeah, so 
the entire film is shot without green screen. There's lots of visual effects, there's lots of special effects, but we all felt that in order to make it look authentic and realistic, we rather wanted everything to be shot in camera. So what we did was that we built, like for example, for the entire sort of NASA space travel with the rock, the, the, sort of the capsules, Mm-hmm. We had uh, different ways of doing it depending on if there was actors in the crafts or if it was shots on the craft or, you know. So it was a, a mixture of where you, we did miniature photography on, on models, but we also did full-scale photography of the crafts without actors where they were uh, on gimbals and could spin violently for the Gemini 8 sequence. Right. But what we did was that we built this huge half-cylinder LED screen that was 60 foot diameter and 35 foot tall and had um, the imagery of what the craft was going through. So for example, in X-15, we shot aerial photography and uh, Paul Lambert, the visual effects advisor and his team put together this sequence of a 180 point of like 180 view, Mm -hmm. actually a 360 view, but each time we shot, we saw 180 degrees of a view uh, of the actual journey, it was like a 15-minute sequence that the craft went through. So we put the actors in that craft, and the craft was on a gimbal, on a on a motion base that could shake violently. And we had the cameras either us operating the cameras handheld, or sometimes we had them on remote heads that we could also shake. And we had also image shakers and devices for it yeah. as well. But it was really, really shaky. Yeah, it was hard for the actors, actually. It was really hard for the actors because they also saw, you know, the imagery so that they actually got whatever was going on outside the windows in the movie was, going, was, could... was the same for the actors. So they really felt it, you know, they could really see it. They through. got the motion sickness, yeah. I'm going to cycle the Acme and the propeller motor valves. Switching ADL to pitch, RL to pitch. Roll meter 200 rising. Separate from the Agena. Did you work with any NASA astronauts? Yeah. We had For a, research? Hmm? We had a plenty of help from um, uh, NASA and astronauts and um, other advisors and, and we had uh, Al Warden from Apollo 15 he he was one of our uh, main advisors and also Joe Engel who, who was an astronaut he also flew the X-15 but also the shuttles and stuff and they were mm-hmm. great help and it was such a you know I thought it was amazing how much we learned all of us from from these people about you know they also knew Neil so they, they had lots of information to share. And also the family, like the Armstrongs, the sons, you know. Yeah, you work closely with them, I understand. Was this the first movie, Linus, that you've worked on that you pissed off ahead of state? I'm, t- I'm thinking about the flag planting controversy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's all a misunderstanding. I mean, when you see the film, it's just like, it's both patriotic and like, just, I mean, who cannot be proud? of this achievement by America, you know, I mean, it's all just, anyone who sees the film, I think feels uh, this is definitely a, a film about great achievement and, and it's obviously an American achievement. It's, it's all amazing. 
It was quite a ridiculous debate. The flag is actually there, and it is incredibly patriarch from beginning to end. So, <laughs> Of course, lots of flags, yeah. I just wanted to know, sort of post-Oscar, um, how have things changed for you? I know as a Swede, you're going to answer me very humbly, but, but is there any major changes that have come for you after winning the Oscar? I obviously probably are, are more known in the industry by other directors, so that probably gives you more possible opportunities but um i mean I, I went straight into actually after that into doing first man which is which was already planned to do so i didn't really feel much of any other direct offers because i was already busy with that so and then after that i've been what i feel like it's like that it's i i have sort of an opportunity i think to maybe um wait and see if there's right. projects that 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 i feel is challenging you know and different from what i just did i, I kind of normally like to um, it's nice to like find new uh, challenges and opportunities that is different from what i just did you know so so in that sense um I think what happens is that you, you get basically more known, I guess. So people know about you and, and hopefully they also like your work because it was a good film, you know. In terms of in terms of genre, um, you've worked, uh, you've really done some of the most interesting genres already from musicals to sort of space movies and, and, and everything in between. What would be a challenging genre for you, do you think? Um. Well, basically anything I haven't done, I think, is an interesting genre. But the main thing is that it's, in one way or another, an interesting uh, director and an interesting script. And and hopefully, you know, that then it could be really, really more interesting if it is another genre. But, I mean, I haven't really done, you know, horror movies. I haven't done, like, <laughs> I've done mostly dramas that are focused on more intimate dramas and maybe something that is more um i don't know something else like uh, action or it i mean i'm i'm open to anything i just feel like it needs to be an interesting project and it it, it could be so many different things that, that makes it interesting but but basically it's like right. directors that i'm interested in or scripts and directors you know like it's that that's i guess what, what drives my interest for making something but it's always nice to do to try to do something that is not exactly what you've done, at least, you know. Linus, thank you so much for talking to me. I very much appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to Linus Sangren. First Man is out in theaters now. And thank you to Gregory Elwood. You can read his articles on theplaylist.net. And thank you for joining us and for subscribing to Pop Culture Confidential. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show. We really appreciate it. This episode was edited by Katrin Lundell, and I'm Christina Jörling Biro. See you next week. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. 
Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.